You know, over time and over cultural drift, stories, true stories can drift into uh, distortion. You know, that even some of the things that the kids were saying um, kind of are fabricated, right? And that's true of all true stories. They kind of over time turn into something like that. And the story of Christmas is all different. So what I want to do just in a few minutes, like 15 minutes, I want to walk you through the story of God in Christ come to this world at Christmas. So if you're a first timer and, uh, and if your own admission is I've never really heard in depth the point of Jesus and his coming, then I'm going to ask you to sit up and listen up because what I believe the Bible teaches about Jesus is he's the answer to every, every hope and dream you've ever had. He's the cure to your spiritual troubles and your broken heart and all the, all the cataclysmic things in your life. That's what the, that's what the story of Christmas is all about. Let, let me share with you how subtle these distortions are. We just sang a song, Silent Night. Everyone knows the song, Silent Night. And yet, and yet, there's a distortion in that song. I don't know if you knew this. When we sing, all is calm. Well, there wasn't very much calm when Jesus was born, not in his life and not in the world. Calm wasn't the way you would define the world that he came into. You you probably already know this, but Israel, his people, was living under the oppression of Rome at the time of his birth. I mean, there was a serious amount of political stress happening at the time of Jesus' birth. And they had a, a ruler who, who was named Herod, who was a descendant of one of their greatest enemies, Israel's enemies, who was ruling in, in Jerusalem at the time. So every day they were reminded of, we are owned by someone. That's the climate he was, he was born into. The other thing is, is that the, just the tensions in the leadership of Israel itself were fractioned and, and broken everywhere. You had these Pharisees. These were the religious leaders who, based on law and tradition, wanted to lead the people. Then you had these Sadducees. These are guys who were probably considered, if the Pharisees are the conservatives, the Sadducees would be the liberals. And in this situation, they didn't do anything. They bought into the Moses law, but they didn't believe in anything supernatural. So when you talked about God doing things, they just kind of checked out of that. You, you had the scribes, and these guys were, I suppose, uh, prayers and thinkers, but all they could think about was the preeminent problem of Rome, and so they'd pray against that. And then you had the zealots. These are the guys who wanted to create war to fix the problem. They were violent all the time. And, and so you take these four groups of people, all of them trying to set the course for, the, for Israel, and, and many times riots would ensue. And, and factions just within the people of, of God. That's the climate Jesus was born into. We're oppressed by Rome. We don't even get, get along. If, if you go a little bit farther in the text, you, you see that Jesus was born into kind of a shame and poverty. I mean, the text makes it pretty clear that when Joseph found out that the woman he was betrothed to, Mary, was pregnant, he said, um, how can I make this go away? And he sought secretly to divorce her. He didn't want to shame her too much, but the shame of having a a baby out of wedlock was too much. And so that's the climate Jesus was born into. You have the reality of of the poverty. We we know that there was no place for them in the end. Clearly, there was a census going on. A crowd was going on. But on carpenter's wages, my guess is that a place they could have afforded wasn't available to somebody like Joseph or Mary. So the only option was a manger. So just picture this, okay? What I'm about to tell you is the king of creation came as a baby, and he came in a poor way. He came in this broken way. That's the reality of Jesus coming, right? And above all of that, he was born into a culture of paranoid insecurity in its leadership. 
You, you know how this thing runs. When Herod hears that a baby called the king of the Jews is born, he has a plan. And he, in the region of Bethlehem, kills off every two-year-old boy and under to try to deal with this threat. Because he's paranoid. He's insecure. So let's kill children. I don't think there was much calm when Jesus was born. I, I think there's always been a, a stress in, in our world, and that's sort of what I want to talk to you about tonight or this morning. My guess if I sat down with you and said, tell me what you know of the Christmas story, I, I don't think there's very many people who wouldn't know that Jesus is a key component of the Christmas story. Whether you want to ignore it or not is another issue, but to, to say that the historical anchor to the season would be the birth of Jesus, right? But there's been all sorts of distortions over time, right? And, and one of them I would call a preferred distortion, and I'm just going to admit it, um, is the cultural Americana way we do Christmas. I'm going to be really honest. I kind of like it. I like the songs. I like the movies. I like the food, Right? I, I, I kind of like the vibe. I like your Christmas sweaters. I mean, I think it's all pretty cool. But you know this, that the cultural mojo of the season is not the point of his coming, right? You, you know that it wasn't about a tree or decorations or lights or food or family. As great as those things are, as much as I like them, that's not why Jesus came in, into this world. So where did all this distortion come from? Now, hang in here with me because I'm going to take you all the way back. You might be surprised, but the distortion started thousands of years before Jesus was born. Genesis chapter 3 makes it pretty, pretty clear. God made man, made him in his image, put him in a garden, said, have fun, enjoy yourself, enjoy me, love your life. Satan shows up and suggests that you don't need to believe God anymore. And Adam and Eve made a decision that affects every one of us. But the Bible makes it pretty clear that because of their decision to ignore what God has said, makes all of us who've ever been born sinners, broken in our sin. Now, I could, I could do this, but I won't do it at Christmas. We could create a scenario where we look at how broken it is. I don't want to do that. But I don't have to convince you that it is, do I? Wars, anger, violence, poverty, sickness, death, insecurity. I mean, you want me to stop? It's on and on, and it's always been that way. Sin has created a storm of failure in the human heart. And here we are trying to navigate the story of Christmas with a lens that has been polluted with this distortion. I can't see the point of the season. In fact, I'd rather, I'd rather celebrate some kind of movie or food or lights or family as opposed to the reason for Christmas. Why, why Jesus came. So let me, let me do this. Let, let me just make certain you understand the point why we gather. Jesus isn't just a baby who was born. He is the creator God who came in the flesh. And he came to restore stuff, to make things new again, to restore um, us who've walked away from God, back to God. He came to restore our senses so that we can think, think clearly about our world and ourselves. And he came to remove this distortion that we have a tendency to want to live in. That's why Jesus came. Now, if we want to really understand kind of the, the heart of the issue, then I got to spend just a few more seconds on Genesis 3, okay? 
when Adam and Eve were in the garden and Satan shows up, he suggests one thing. God can't be trusted. He questions the character of God. He says, well, God is... God's just insecure. That's why you're not supposed to eat of this fruit because God can't handle you being like him. And if if you eat it, you'll be just like him. You'll be God yourself. And so God's insecure. He's holding out on you. He He has access to things that are better for you, but he doesn't want you to have them. And so he perpetrates all these lies to create a suspicion in the heart of man. And here's what happens. Adam and Eve believed the lie and plunged us all into this spiritual death, okay? And ever since that day, all of us have been walking around with screwed up thoughts. Here's the, here's the gist of our screwed up thoughts. We can get real detailed, but I'm not going to. Here's the gist of it. You and I think we're more like God, and we think he's more like us. If you want to boil it all down, what's messed up and distorted in our minds because of our ancestors' sin and our dis- choices and decision is we don't think our problem is that great, nor do we think his standard is that big. And so we try to navigate our life without a God, without a thought of God, without a concern of God or a response to his word. We just kind of live however we want to live. And that explains why your decisions, my decisions, the world's decisions end up creating the chaos. Because without an anchor of truth, without hope, without love, without grace, without mercy, without God, that's what we do. We're broken in our sin. We can't perceive the right thing. That's what sin does. So... What is special about this day? I mean, I'm telling you, I love all the trappings of it. I I really do. I'm going to go home and watch football, another good one. Um, But here's what makes this special, super special. Jesus came to show us that God isn't at all like what Satan said he was. Let me remind you of a text. We did this, we read this a couple of weeks ago. If you're not familiar, this is John writing about Jesus. He calls him the word, okay? So just whenever you hear the word, word, it's referring to Jesus as the person. Here's what John says. In the beginning was the word. Who is that? Okay. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So get it so far, Jesus is God who made all things. That's who he is. Here's what John finishes this thought with. And the word, who is the word? Became flesh. And he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full, and I love this last line, full of grace and truth. How How would you and I ever know what truth is, what grace is, what mercy is, unless God didn't come? in the form of flesh. So I used this illustration several years ago and and hope you're okay with me using it again because I think it depicts this thing we're talking about now, the incarnation. There was a, a, a writer who I was reading who was trying to understand how to communicate to friends what Jesus or God becoming flesh was all about. And he said, he was, talked about his own hobby and he had a hobby of exotic fish and he had these tanks and he spent thousands of dollars on this exotic fish and he would, he would care every day for the oxygen levels and the vitamin levels and the light that it got and he'd feed the fish three times a day. But it didn't matter what he did, no matter what his intentions were for the good of the fish, every time he showed up near the tank, they scattered in fear, terrified. He was there for their good. He was there for their mercy, for their best. They couldn't perceive it. And he thought to himself, how could it possibly be? How could I ever convince a fish that I'm not here to kill him, destroy him, and ruin them? 
An Edith thought, an impossible thought, but a true thought. Well, I suppose if I became a fish, I could talk to a fish and say, it's all, it's all good. He's, he's here for us. He's here to love us. He's here to care for us. You, you get the picture, right? We, we are terrified of God for one reason, because Satan lied. Satan lied with this lie. God's holding out on you. He doesn't have his, your best interest at heart. And so we look at his laws, his commandments, his, his particulars as somehow restrictive or somehow uh, joy-killing, right? And so what does God do? God puts on one of these. And he comes to this earth and says, I'm, I'm not that. I'm, I'm not like what he said I am. I'm here for you. I love you. And we, we're going to pack this in a second of the reason, another reason why he came. But he came to communicate. Just get this. All the things about God's love, all the things about God's grace and his mercy and his affections and his intentions for us are communicated most clearly in the fact that God came down to be like one of us, to tell us, I'm here for you. That's why when Jesus walks around and does his miracles and touches the people and feeds the hungry and opens the eyes of the blind and heals the crippled, he's saying out loud, here's what I'm here for. Sin has broken everything I'm here to fix. Do you get that? He came for that. There's another reason why Jesus came, and that is to to sympathize with us. And as weird as this sounds, he came to suffer. You know that uh, the passage I just read from John 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Eugene Peterson has a paraphrase in the message. I like how he writes this. This is how he says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. Because it paints pictures in my head, at least. Um, in my neighborhood where I live, it either, either had a, a quarryman or, that built it or it was built on a quarry because my street's named Rock. One down the way is named Quartz and there's Pebble and there's Boulder and there's Granite, okay? So I'm not very smart, but I can figure out there's some kind of rock theme going on in my neighborhood. Says something. Let's use that, I, I, that, that picture and apply it to this phrase that Peterson said, that he became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. If, if there were street names for the neighborhood he moved into, here are the names. Brokenness. Sickness. Death. Sin. Fear. Insecurity. Hopelessness. Lost. That's the neighborhood Jesus moved into. God of glory could have, maybe should have, he could have stayed away. He doesn't deserve to come to this mess, but here's what our God did. Our God took on flesh and got right down in it, right down in the suffering to communicate not only that he's for us, but he understands what it's like to live outside of an understanding of his goodness. Do you understand the power in his coming? Christmas is wonderful for a thousand reasons, but this makes it unbelievable that he came for us. He came to, to bear the burdens that we couldn't bear. So let me just unpack the last part of this. Jesus came to die our death, to give us his righteousness, and to renew our lives. The Apostle Paul, in describing dying our death and giving us righteousness, said this, God made him, this is Jesus he's talking about, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus stood in the way of God's wrath for my failure. Just think about this for a second. All of my twisted thoughts, all of my intentions, all the wicked things I invent every day, Jesus stands between me and God and he bears all the brunt of God's righteous fury that I've earned. 
He died my death. I deserve to die. You deserve to die because of your sin. His standard is holiness. You must be holy as I'm holy, Peter tells us. And everyone falls short. That's what Paul says. So he died our death and he gives us his righteousness. You might have been here before and hear me talk about this, but this wonderful transaction, I have this sin. This sin deserves a payment. The payment is God promised Adam and Eve, if you sin, you will die. That is the payment, spiritual death forever. Jesus dies in my place and the righteousness of God that I require, he gives me that. We swap places. Do you see this amazing thing? Listen, I don't know what you've ever heard about Jesus or what you've ever heard about Christian faith. But this is, the, this is the only thing the world has ever heard that solves the true problem. You can't fix your problems. You can't be religious enough. You can't try enough. You need help. God came in the person of Jesus to be that help for us, to restore us, to, to clear up all the distortions. L listen to the outcome. This is a paraphrase again. It wasn't so long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn, dupes of sin, ordered it every which way by our glands, going around with a chip on our shoulder, hated and hating back. But when God, our kind and loving Savior, God stepped in and saved us from all that, it was all his doing. We had nothing to do with it. He gave us a good bath and we came out of it as new people washed inside and outside by the Holy Spirit. Our Savior Jesus poured out new life so generously. God's gift was restore, has restored our relationship with him and given us back our lives. And there's more life to come, an eternity of life. You can count on this. That's what Jesus did by his coming. So how do you respond to something like this? Can I give you three B's? <laughs> Be honest. There's another biblical word for that. It's called confession. All you have to do to receive all that Jesus is is to admit your need. The Bible talks about confessing our sins. If you, if you stand before God and say, I'm not that bad, I'm not that guilty, I deserve something better, well, then you get what you get. You get exactly him measuring you for what you can do. The Bible tells us what that conclusion is. Everyone falls short. Everyone's a sinner. But if you're honest about your condition, you get Jesus. Let me give you another B. So be honest. How about belief? Jesus declares himself to be the way, the truth, and the life, and no one. No one can know the Father. No one can be forgiven except through him. It's a, it's a belief. It's a trusting in the narrative of the scripture, of the Christmas story that God came for me. And then the conclusion is be saved. It's pretty simple, right? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and the text makes it pretty clear. You will be saved. You see how unbelievable this is? Every other religion in the world says you save yourself. Only biblical Christianity says you can't and God says, I'll save you. That's it. Freedom, right? That is the clear picture. All the distortion, let it go. Think about Christ. Think about his coming. Think about what he's provided with us, to us in his precious life for us. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for Christmas. Um, what this day means to us is that you came, a Savior born for us. Lord, I'm so thankful that Jesus died for me. I'm a sinful, wicked man, and I need a Savior. I need a covering.
So, Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this season. Thank you that we can be together, enjoy all the things that are part of this day. But, God, don't ever let us embrace the distortion. This is about you. We celebrate you, and we celebrate the fact that we are changed by you, restored by you, and made new by you. Thank you for your love and affection. Thank you for your grace and mercy. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.